Except for the kids up to the sixth grade. Children up to the sixth grade can make your way to Children's Church at this time. We're thankful for those that serve in our ministries. And thankful for the kids too. I saw so many of them running around before church today. Where'd all these kids come from, I said. And we're glad they're here. Everybody else, I'm going to have you turn to two passages in your Bibles, please. If you turn to John 17 and hold your place there, turn to John 17 and hold your place there. And then if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. So John chapter 17 and then Ephesians 5. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. We thank you, God, for the time to look into the mirror of God's word. We praise you that you have given us exactly what we need in this world. The wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and to teach while we're on our own in your word, and when we join together corporately around your word. We would pray, God, that we would live better for you because of our time spent right now. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. When we go through life, we develop specific opinions about things, some we feel stronger about than others. I think when it comes to sports, and specifically when it comes to individuals who are observing sports, I think the entire system, especially community sports, and even up to professional sports, would benefit a lot if every fan and even every player were, were forced to do two different things. It would be a different world if everyone watching sporting events had to referee one of those games. If they had to referee one of those games for themselves and see how challenging it is, and get the feedback from the fans, it might change the way they approach when they're yelling at a referee, possibly. The other thing that I think would change sports completely is if everybody had to coach. If you had to coach a team, you might change the way you think about the coach of a specific team, whether it be your young person who is on that team or your favorite college or professional team. Having said that, I wanted to say something. It's going to sound a little bit negative about a coach today. I wanted to let you know completely where I stand. I have refereed before, and so I understand the pressure that comes with that. I understand the pressure that these, and when I refereed, it was four- and five-year-olds playing basketball. And these parents standing up on the stands going nuts as we're trying to teach them the game as we referee the game. I've refereed before, I've also coached before, and um, I have had my ups and many, many downs when it comes to coaching. But they have changed the way that I approach when I see a game. I'll even say it, um, I've, I've said it in the past year when I'm sitting with some fans on this side of a basketball court and people are complaining about the coach and I say, it's a whole lot easier on this side of the court than it is on that side of the court. With all that said, I want to share kind of a, I thought it was a humorous story with you of a friend of mine, and she plays volleyball, 
and she's tall, and she's um, pretty good for her age. So she got advanced up to move on. I think it was the freshman team that she was playing on. And as she went and got on this team, she was eager to learn. She was open to good coaching. And there was a brand new coach that was coaching the sports team. And my friend went to practice, and the coach yelled, and I'm going to tell you exactly what the coach would yell during the practices, and it would even uh, bleed its way into the games. During the, during the practices and games, the coach would get up and yell, Come on! Get it together! Just like that. And my friend went and talked to her parents, and she said, I'll do whatever the coach tells me to do, but I don't know what they want me to do. And the next practice would come and the coach would get there and yell, get it together, just like that. And it came to the point where she was in tears after practice because there was something that needed to be done, but she wasn't being given the details of how to do it. She was open to it. She wanted to do it, but she wasn't given the instruction. In the Christian journey, there are sometimes verses, passages of Scripture that we will come across, and sometimes we'll see it, sometimes we'll hear it repeated, and we'll say, amen to that, I agree. But sometimes we don't quite get the details of how it is to be done. Let me give you a couple examples. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And all God's people said, amen. See there, you just said amen to it. And if I just stand here and say, come on, get it together, be holy, is that enough? Some of you have got an idea as to what it means. Some of you have an idea of what it means for somebody else. Another verse is be in the world, but not of the world. So many of us are familiar with that passage. Be in the world, but not of the world. In my class, our our ABF group today, we're going to talk more about that and um, what does that mean specifically. And in our time in God's Word today, we're going to look at these. I want to give you a couple applications right off the bat. And so um, this is a way to break down our time in God's Word today. Number one, God's children will stand out as, God's children will stand out as we mix with an unbelieving world. God's children are going to stand out as we are mixing with unbelievers that are all around us, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be at school, whether it be at home. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is going to look different in some way. We'll see that right from God's word. The second application for us today is this. The challenge of knowing what is, and there's part of that verse, of the world It gets easier as we discern what is pleasing to the Lord and what is not. Some people like alliteration. You like to use the letters. And so if you want to go number one, we're going to see how we should be different. And number two, we're going to learn how to discern what is to be different. We need to be different and we need to discern. Let me give a little bit of review. Um, Some, if you've not been here with us for our study in Ephesians, just a little bit. In the first part of chapter 5, we looked at some specific sins that are repeated. The Apostle Paul writes to this church and he once again brings up sexual sins 
And we find that a repeated theme throughout the scriptures, especially the Proverbs, because it's something that knocks people off of where, of where God wants them to be. Some specific sins to stay, stay away from. Now, next time we are in our study in Ephesians, Paul is going to talk about, and this is beautiful, and remember this, this unique balance of us doing our part and God doing his part, specifically through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, being actively led by the Holy Spirit. So what's God's part? Does he have a part? Yes, he does. What's our part? Do we have a part? Yes, we do. And next time we're going to look at how that melds together. At the end of chapter 5, we're going to see some specifics, the details for a good marriage. How loving for God to give us this here in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 6, some of you parents are going to want to bring your kids in for this. Instruction for children. Thus saith the Lord what kids are supposed to do um, in the home. And then also we see how we're to conduct ourselves in the workplace. And then the end of the book of Ephesians wraps up with the specific attacks from the devil. Some of you took on the challenge to read through the screw tape letters. And we're going to get into some specifics of the attacks of Satan. All right, all that to bring us to our text here in Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians 5, I want to go ahead and look at um, three different sections. And number one, if you're taking notes, is the warning. In verse number 7 of Ephesians 5, we find the warning. Let's read verse 7. Where it says, therefore, and remember, whenever we see therefore in the Bible, we have to go back and see what therefore is therefore. Well, I just gave us a little bit of review, specific sins. So he gets to verse 7 and says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. The very first verse of chapter 4 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The first verse in chapter 5 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. And now verse 7 says, do not be partners with them. Those who are light. The Bible here calls individuals that know Jesus Christ as Savior light. And those who do not know him, they are darkness. And so you are different. But there will be this pull. There will be a pull to live in a way that you used to before you knew Jesus Christ. And there can be uh, a plurality of reasons for why this comes. Sometimes we're not getting the joy and satisfaction in our walk with Jesus. And so we remember what used to give me joy and satisfaction before, my, before I knew Jesus. I'm going to try to go there. And it always proves to be empty. We talked about that previously. There is a parallel passage to this idea. I don't want you to turn there, but I'm going to read um, just uh, one verse for us. You can write down notes, though. The parallel passage to this is 2 Corinthians 6, and starting in verse 14, where it says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And get the comparison here. Get the what is supposed to be different. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? It goes on to say, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, when we talk about this contrast, there are a number of directions that we can go. I'm only going to highlight one specific area because you need to hear it. If you know Jesus Christ, you need to hear this. 
If you're an individual who is um, looking to someday get married, you need to hear this. If you're an individual who is going to influence some that would be looking for a spouse, you need to hear this. So parents, when we talk about this idea of not being unequally yoked, many are familiar with a picture of a yoke. Um, That was a yoke for animals, and they would put two animals with this yoke over them, and they would need to be similar, the same kind of animal, so they could walk together and do the work that had to be done, or else nothing could be accomplished. 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And of course, The letter to the Corinthians was written to Christians. Parents, you teach your children to brush their teeth. You teach your children what it's going to take for them to succeed in a career when they are grown. I was excited to see these wonderful graduates up here today with so much that is ahead of them. You teach your children to be polite, to not use drugs, to obey the laws of the land. But I want to encourage you, as one that would stand and open this book, there is really not, there is not a message that would rival the message that you would give to your children that they need to marry someone who loves Jesus Christ. And so many people just, they take their hands off of it. Well, I I can't really control that. I can't really control what's going to happen with them and who they meet and what they're going to do. What influence do I have? And I would say you have plenty of influence. There are many things that you're not going to give on. You're going to force them to do these things to a certain age, hoping that when they're making their own decisions, they'll do it because they love and respect you. And this area of not joining together with an unbeliever, and there's a variety of applications, but I'm just going to focus in on marriage today. Because any marriage partnership that happens apart from God's approval and any, any marriage partnership that is apart from his involvement, and I think this is a safe way of saying it, it's one of the biggest gambles anybody can take. It really is. This business of falling in love and that being the most important thing, if you have not yet learned that that can come back to bite you, it can. And I'm not putting down falling in love. I'm in love with my wife. She's in love with me. We like that. But that's not, that's not the most important thing because there's going to come a time where you don't feel in love. I just don't feel it anymore. It's been years and I don't feel it anymore. And when you're going into a marriage relationship, you have to have God right there in the middle, that wonderful picture. We talked about this recently in our Bible Knowledge Hour, that picture of the pyramid And as the husband and the wife are getting closer to God, they're getting closer to each other. And that is God's plan for a successful marriage. And people need to see this modeled. And I know young men and young women that want to get married. They want to be married so bad. But if an individual thinks that they are lonely, not married... I cannot express to you enough the loneliness that you will experience if you marry somebody who does not love Jesus Christ and you love him and the different trials and battles that you're going to take on. And if you're in a relationship like that, God's grace is sufficient for you. Praise the Lord. You can be a wonderful partner. But I want to encourage you, if you have any amount of influence or if you're one that's going to be considering marriage, this cannot be number six on the list. 
You know, are they Protestant? Good enough. No. They need to have a love for Jesus Christ, and they need to see this modeled with those that are older than them, those within the church, those within their home. This is the message of the Bible, and it needs to be the message of anybody who has influence over those that might be considering marriage. So there's a warning here. Now, and that warning is a little bit more broad than just marriage, all right? He says, light is different than darkness. I've just chosen to give it application because it needs to be said every once in a while, and it needs to be said all the time in your homes. Let's go ahead and go on to the second one. Number two is the solution to the problem. So first he gives the problem. He gives a warning. Be separate from them. Don't be partners with them. Then look at verses eight and nine. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So it says what we once were, and then it gives the solution. You need to walk as children of light. I've never been in a band before. I don't have much musical ability, and so nobody's ever asked me to be in a band. I've never looked for that, but I've oftentimes thought it might be interesting to be able to name a band. I've got some creativity. I could probably name a band and give it a good name that could carry them on. We get a picture here that we all used to be in a band, those, before, those who are saved now. We used to be in a band, and the name of that band was the Sons of Disobedience. It's got a little ring to it, doesn't it? The Sons of Disobedience. But now, if you know Jesus Christ, you're in a different band. Now you are the saints of light. So from one band to another. And let's be real here. I understand that most people don't like being different. I understand that. Most folks don't like sticking out. They don't like being odd. There's the occasional person that, you know, likes to stand out or for some reason. But most of us like to blend for the most part. We don't like to be different. But that's exactly what we've been called to do. I gave the application at the start that God's children will stand out as we mix with an unbelieving world. I've had a couple people ask me a question. It's a similar question, and it goes like this. Would it be better if we as Christians could all just go and travel off to some island together and just be separate? All of us Christians just separated on an island somewhere, and that way we don't have to worry about, you know, non-Christians and all the temptation and all the junk in this world and being judged. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But the idea of cutting ourselves off from any connections to the outside world, this is not a principle that the Bible supports, when I talk to you about a community that seems to be cut off from the outside world, maybe you have something come to your mind. Maybe you'll have um, a compound somewhere where they kind of had walls around them and they met together and they weren't allowed to interact except for, um, for some of the necessities of life. Maybe your mind went right to the Amish, the Amish people. I know we've got at least a couple of people here in the church that drive for the Amish. They're involved in that way, and I enjoy talking to them. The Amish live a life that is distinct from the surrounding culture. But if there's a temptation for you 
towards something like that. And probably there's not for too many. But every once in a while it comes up. Can we just, can we just get our group here? Can we just gather and not be around those that are unbelievers? If that's a temptation that comes your way, it's very important that you evaluate the direction that you're going in life, keeping what Jesus gave us in mind. Jesus gave us something before he left this world. He gave us something called the Great Commission. And if you want to go and separate yourself all the time from those that are not Christians, you're going to have a very hard time being obedient to the commission that Jesus gave. We need to ask ourselves, how effective is that choice going to be in helping me fulfill the Great Commission? When it comes to the Amish, have they been very effective at turning this world towards Jesus Christ? And I would say no. Very, very minimal, if anything, because of them separating themselves. Does Jesus have anything to say about this, about us being in the world? Why didn't he just take us out when we realized we needed to be saved? Mark your place here in Ephesians 5 and turn over to John 17. I asked you to mark that earlier, so we'll come back to Ephesians 5. But in John 17, let me give you some background. This is before Jesus goes to the cross. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Sometimes people talk about the Lord's Prayer, which was kind of a model prayer in the Gospels. But here we find in John 17 an actual prayer of Jesus Christ. He's about to go to the cross, and he goes to his father and prays on behalf of his disciples. And I think that you and I are mixed into this prayer very much so. So Jesus is praying for his disciples. He'll soon be leaving them. I want to read verses 12 through 18 that talks right about this point of being in the world. Starting in verse 12 of John 17. Jesus goes in the middle of his prayer. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let's stop right there. Are you getting the picture What Jesus Christ did for his disciples before he went to the cross. He goes to the Father and he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's not the idea. Instead, the idea is that they would be protected from the evil one. And when you and I consider ourselves in this world, And we try to figure out what does it mean to be in the world but not of the world. Jesus said it twice there when he said, they are hated. And why are they hated? They, Christians are hated by the world because who did they hate first? Because they hate Jesus Christ. 
They hate anything that would fly in the face of telling them to do something different in their life, to change their life. How do we live in a world but not be of the world? Well, that's kind of the, come on, get it together part of it. But thankfully, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 gives us some of the detail. Go ahead and turn back there. And that second application, the second application from before, the challenge of knowing what is of the world gets easier as we discern what is pleasing to God and what is not pleasing to God. In Ephesians 5, look at verse 10 with me, where it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so the question is this. Do we take ourselves and move to some commune together and separate ourselves from the world? Or go to some nice tropical island and only let those who have their Christian card get on the island? No, that's not what we do at all. Instead, we are to live among believers, but we are to live a life that is distinct. Brothers and sisters, you are to be among those who do not know Jesus Christ and you are to stand out. And I'm not asking you to get goofy, okay? You can use your creativity. It should come out in your speech. It should come out when you go through a trial in life and they are observing that trial and how you respond to it. It should come out when the different emotions come to play, whether it be in the classroom or in the home or in the workplace, and you get angry. There should be something different about you, something distinct. This Bible is a living book, and it can be trusted so that we can know how to live in a way that is pleasing to God in a way that is not the third, um, uh, third point here is the conclusion. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. The conclusion that we see, the idea is to be distinct. Verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light... I hope you're getting your application here. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You are something different. Determine that those things that used to give you joy that are an enemy, an affront to God, that you will no longer have those in your life. Determine as you walk through your life, as you study this book, and as you get years of experience, that you're going to live in a way that is distinct. Because it's not going to help you to connect with that person that needs Jesus Christ if you're laughing along with the dirty joke. That's not, is what going to connect you. What's going to connect you is if you are distinct and you don't laugh at it. What's going to connect you, and you might seem like an unusual bird at first, but if the name of Jesus Christ 
Brothers and sisters, if the name of your Savior Jesus Christ is special to you, and it's special in your ears, not just to the point where you don't take God's name in vain, but you don't appreciate God's name taken in vain. Is it special to you? Is it precious? You see, you're observing your life. You're observing the connections that you have. And the challenge here is wake up. Because sometimes in the Christian walk, we can kind of, you know, just kind of be coasting. Have you ever been driving along and you're just kind of zoning out? You can see stuff in your peripheral vision, but you're just kind of zoning out and just there. And every once in a while, as you're driving along in your car, you might even get sleepy. That happened to me years ago. I was um, young and really, really not smart. And um, at that point in my life, I was in love. That being in love thing, I love that. Tina and I were in love, and she had already finished her schooling, and I was uh, still doing my schooling. I went to college in Wisconsin, and she lived in Gary, Indiana. And so we spent some time together over the weekend dating and had to get back for college. So Sunday night, I was driving back, and I stayed way too late. And so I was tired and sleepy driving on the interstate. And as I was driving there, it was wintertime, and I did everything I could do to stay awake. Now, some of you have tricks to stay awake while you're driving, right? Some of you have that. Uh, you turn the radio up, possibly, really loud. I was doing everything I knew how to do. I was singing. Um, I had my hand out the window in the wintertime. I was freezing. Everything I could possibly do. But it finally happened. As I was driving along on I-94, and I was in the left lane, I dozed off a little bit, going 65 miles an hour down the road. And as I dozed off just a little bit, I woke up because of the rumbling that was going on under the car, and I had gone just onto the shoulder a little bit. But what had happened in the wintertime was the snow got scooped onto the shoulder. Well, what's the first thing you do when you find out you're on the shoulder? What's the first thing you do? You jerk the steering wheel to get right back, right? Well, some of you might know where my car went. When I jerked it fast to go this way on that snow, it shot me right into the medium at 65 miles an hour. Do you think I was awake at this point? I hit that medium, and I was awake, and my car was going sideways this way, and then sideways this way, and praise the Lord, no one was nearby. And praise the Lord, I was able to gain control of that 1985 Escort wagon. Praise God that I got that. I was able to drive back the rest of the way and get home, even though there was some rubbing going on, and the car would end up uh, going to the junkyard after that, I did everything that I could do to stay awake. Brothers and sisters, God has left you in this world where you are going to be surrounded by individuals that don't have your best in their interest. They don't want what's best for you. They don't care about God. I know we live around a lot of people that are kind of good people. They're good citizens. They're moral people. But we are in a world where we have to constantly be checking ourselves through the, through the word of God so that we know how we are to walk. We need to be identifying with Jesus Christ. Here's a good way of thinking about it. If you're about to do something, ask yourself, just use this as a litmus test. If you're about to do something and you're not quite sure, ask yourself this, can I do this to the glory of God? 
That's a great little question. My brother was, um, he's been in education for years and years, and he would have Christian young people come to him and say, can we do this, Mr. Lazell? He's the only Mr. Lazell in the family. Can we do this, Mr. Lazell? And that was his response. He would say, well, you can do that as long as you can do this to the glory of God. It's a great little test. So when you're about to do something and there's something in your mind or perhaps something in your spirit, the Holy Spirit giving you pause, ask yourself that question. When you're about to watch that program, ask yourself that question. Can I watch this to the glory of God? When you're going to participate in a conversation, can I have this conversation to the glory of God? When you're going to take on some kind of activity, can I do this activity to the glory of God? And when you walk it through that question, you will sometimes look a little bit different. Sometimes you're going to look a whole lot different. And as my mother told me years ago, my mom was in a workplace and she had multiple Christians that were around her. And there were some that were flamboyant and some that were judgy. And there was one, his name was Frank. And when individuals in that workplace came to a hard place in their life, when they came to those times when they're questioning their purpose or eternity, they would go to Frank, who was a Christian, because he stood out. He showed the love of Christ, and he did not compromise who he was, because he said, I'm going to do what I can do to the glory of God. We need to look, what's that letter D? Different. And we need to know how to discern. Verse 10 there said, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's wrap this up. God's children will stand out as we mix with an unbelieving world. Therefore, embrace the idea that you're supposed to be different. Embrace the idea that you are supposed to be different. And we're we're out of time, so I can't go on too long, but... Why in the world would God give you these connections? So if you spend time in recreation here, if you go to this gym, if you participate in this, um, you know, this club, God's given you all of these, and I would just challenge you, don't be in the secret service. This is mine. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian, or I'm not going to not say I'm a Christian, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be preachy. Why in the world do you think God gives you all those connections? Why do you think he left you here? There is one great commission. And we read in our text that when you act in a specific way, the light is going to expose some things. So maybe they will view you as the enemy for a season. Maybe they'll get some things right in their own life. But you are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't keep this a secret. There's different things you can do. You can wear a WWJD bracelet if you want. Those were popular years ago. I've got a bracelet that says Pray for America. And I had it on the other day and I was talking to somebody I really didn't know and then he mentioned something like, well, praise the Lord for that. And I just wondered, did he see my bracelet and kind of know that maybe I'm a Christian? Was that what it was? I had a woman in my neighborhood and her license plate said R-O-M-8. Romans 8. Maybe it said the whole book of Romans. Romans 8. That was a conversation starter with me. Romans 8, they're on your license plate. Oh, yes, Romans 8. What can you do? Get creative. You can put a Jesus fish in the back of your car. That's fine. I'm not going to tell you what to do. 
Here's what I'm going to tell you what not to do. Don't keep it to yourself. Please don't let your neighbors move into your neighborhood, move out of your neighborhood, and never know that you knew the way to heaven and didn't tell them. Don't let that be the case. Be, celebrate it is what we put here on the slide. Celebrate the fact that God has made you different and embrace it. And for those, those of you who have a hard time with this, just embrace it, okay? You're gonna be a little bit different. It's okay, I'm, I'm different too. I'm not sure if that's gonna encouragement to you or not, but it's okay. Be a little bit different. And then number two, the challenge of knowing what is of the world gets easier as we discern what is pleasing to the Lord and what is not and what has God given us to understand that. God has given us his book. God has given us this book. Take seriously this book that God gives us to guide us to what is pleasing and what is not. And I would add to it that as the years go by and as you take this book in, it gets easier because there's all kinds of tough decisions in life. Tons of them. Even the Bible, you're, well, do I, do I do this or do I not do this? I heard a story this past week about a young man, a student, trying to discern the will of God, and we're gonna get to that later in Ephesians 5, trying to discern the will of God, and he wasn't even sure if he should take the next step, literally the next step in his day, because if God wanted him to do that or not. We don't have to be scared of this. Get in the book, and these decisions that you'll face God will give you a wonderful discernment as you are faithful to study and as you go through life and as you surround yourself with other people who love God and have been down that road before. But just like one of the most famous stories in the Bible, just like the story of David and Goliath. You remember that story of David and Goliath? Isn't that a great one? One of my favorite parts of that story, and I reference this every once in a while, when I'm talking with people. One of my favorite parts in that story is when finally King Saul said, okay, I'm gonna let you fight that giant. But if you're gonna fight that giant, we're gonna get you suited up right. And so King Saul wanted him to take King Saul, he wanted him to take his armor. Saul was a big dude. David, I don't think, was near as big. Saul, he said, take my armor and take my sword and go and fight this giant with this stuff here. And do you remember what David said when that was offered to him? I think he put it on. I think he did. He said, I, I, I can't go out and fight with this stuff. Why not? Because he had not used it before. He had not tried it. Brothers and sisters, some of you are coming up to decision points in your life and you don't know what to do. You've never been there before. And you need to be so familiar with the word of God and the Holy Spirit will guide you along. And I love that when we make a decision and it's not the way we're supposed to go, God has his way of closing that door. It's beautiful. Walk by faith. Trust that God will work with you. And do not leave up to chance whether something is God-pleasing or not. Grow in your discernment of this book. You have to be familiar with it. Some of you might have noticed around town here, they did a fresh coat of pavement on several of the roads. Anybody notice that? Anybody see the new black top on several? Okay, several others saw that. I was glad for this. It wasn't a major construction job this past week. They just went and put a new layer of black top on the roads. It took less than a day in most places. They just went and I got to drive on that road and it was nice and smooth. 
but it's not complete yet. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They did that brand new blacktop, but as you drive on those roads, most of those roads do not have any lines on them yet. There's no lines. The road near in my neighborhood, they, they put it there. It's a blacktop road, and there's a lane going north and south, and there's a, there's a turning lane, but they put no lines on there. Most people who are familiar with the road aren't struggling with that. They turn in and they get far over to the right and they leave enough room in the middle for a turning lane, even though there's no direction, there's no lines. But when someone who is unfamiliar with that road turns on there, and I've seen this multiple times. Yesterday I was behind a person and they turned um, right into oncoming, the, the lane of oncoming traffic. Nobody was coming, but they turned right into the oncoming traffic. A few days ago, I saw one car, and they were turning left, but they weren't in the turning lane. They were completely blocking at least six cars behind them. They were waiting to get through. But they didn't know the road. They weren't familiar with it. But here's what I saw. When you come up to the intersection, they haven't put the lines down yet, but about every 20 feet, they put a little yellow marker to kind of tell you where the lines are going to be. Why? Because you're approaching danger. If you don't get in the right place when you go through this fast intersection, you might have an accident. And so they give us a little more guidance. And the line, I'm sure the lines are coming. I I haven't heard anything about them doing away with lines on the roads. Having said that, some of you are going to turn onto a road in life. And if you are not familiar with this book, if you are not familiar with God's ways, you're going to wonder, where do I sit? Is there a lane here? Is there going to be oncoming traffic? Could this be a disaster? And I'm so thankful for God's patience with us. Did you know it's never too late to jump into this book? And also, did you know you can't exhaust it? I wish I could find out who in this room has been studying the Bible the longest. I'm sure, so (laughs) don't don't volunteer. So who's been studying longer than anybody else? Because my guess is, is they would say, I haven't exhausted it yet. I've been listening to people preach for 60 years, and I still can get something fresh. That's the beauty of it. And as you jump into it and get to know God through his word, it helps you. You don't just have to walk through life having somebody yell or hearing somebody yell, get it together! You can go right to the book and get the details. This is what God wants me to do so I can walk in a faithful way, being a good steward with the rest of the time that I have. Let's pray. Loving Father, you know each heart of individuals that's listening to this message today. And God, as you see down and you look down, you know what folks are going through. You know the challenges. You know the encouragements. You know how we are built. You know our backgrounds, what happened to us in our childhood and what's happened in our adult life. And God, we thank you that you are so powerful and that you are so wise that you can put us in a place where we can live a life that's pleasing to you. You can look upon every one of your children and you have a plan for us to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. God, I would pray that for these wonderful folks today. I would pray that they would see that they've been put in this world and not taken right to heaven once they found out they needed to be saved, 
but left here to make a difference, to influence someone, to influence a believer, to be a stronger believer, to influence someone that's in darkness, to point them to Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through a stanza on the piano, and this is a chance for you to pray. A couple challenges. First of all, if you're a Christian today, maybe God's laid something on your heart. Whatever that might be, just talk to him, pray to him. He can hear every one of us all at the same time, so lift your prayer to him now. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not sure if you were to die today if you go to heaven, you can take care of that even during this time. Christ died on the cross for the sins of men. You can ask him for forgiveness and to be your Savior. Even during this time, when the piano plays through, you can pray that.